we'll take a look at this if you will when it comes to something remarkable when it comes to something unusual this is worth filming this is worth capturing and you would think that we are in the middle of winter when in reality we are in the middle of March we are on the cusp of spring and I will just spend a few moments if you will allow me to pan the camera around and capture this very pretty location I'm still searching around for somewhere else to make open-air videos from and I am somewhat spoilt when it comes to having quite a few locations to film from and when I first arrived here about 35 minutes ago I thought I saw an eagle would you believe and yet as far as I know there are no eagles in the UK especially not in England you might get something which resembles an eagle perhaps in Scotland but not in England but the last time I was here I was able to film this stream which you may recall and then the rain started to come down and I realized I'd have to cut my time short here well I'm back today as you can see from a different angle from a different part of this backdrop and uh, this is very pretty is it not but uh, I don't spend too much time filming this beautiful backdrop because there's business that needs to be taken care of so every blessing to you all and uh, welcome back to an open-air video I'm not sure if this will be my new open-air pulpit I guess time will tell but praise the Lord it's good to be able to do videos such as this and uh, I think you know that we had a good time in Switzerland we wrote about it in our newsletter for February and uh, during our time in Switzerland we will start our morning with Bible studies and we did uh, I think three or four studies during our time there and I was able to record 2nd John, 3rd John and Colossians chapter 3 and the latter will be entitled Legacy Make Your Life Count and those messages are going to be put into video format either this week or next week we're still catching up with uh, other projects but I wanted to make this video this morning which I'm going to call The Devil's Gospel I was able to preach on that very subject during our first day in Lausanne and I thought I would reproduce it this morning from a very pretty backdrop but this time put it into video format because the devil has a gospel and you may think that the devil is a bogeyman you may think he doesn't even exist but that's one of his great achievements he has been able to get people to doubt his existence he has been able to get people to completely disregard him but if you are saved he is your number one enemy and I can remember a well-known scholar who's now with the Lord making a statement along the lines of when Christ said the devil comes and he has nothing on me and this scholar said yes that's true but he's got plenty on you and I 
plenty on you and I. I thought, yes, how true that is. I don't know who you are. I don't know how long you've been saved for. I don't know where you live in the world or what you do. But if you are born again, he knows all about you. And uh, as somebody once said, when you get down to pray, he gets down to pray with you. Now, I don't know that is necessarily the case, but I know what that brother was alluding to. Sometimes you feel the devil is always on your back. Now, we've been back from Switzerland for about three to four weeks now. And since we've got back from Switzerland, when we were able to give, or where we were able to give out uh, nearly 3,000 tracks, and we were able to give out many DVDs, we've had a lot of problems. A lot of ministry problems, a lot of health problems. And I guess we did more than we thought we did over there. I guess we did better than we perhaps could have hoped for. And some people may think, you know, why would you go overseas when you could do so much work in the UK? Well, don't worry, we do a lot of work in the UK. We do about 20 hours a week on the streets in the UK. But when we look at Europe, when we see how secular it is, when we observe the Islamic influx and the impotence coming from politicians and church leaders, what else can we do? So we put a team together, a small group of Bible believers, and off we went to Switzerland. And as I say, we did very well for tracks, DVDs, and conversations so I guess we did better than we thought but for this morning I want to further expound on my subject entitled the devil's gospel let's start if we may in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 look at verse 1 please would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me Paul is speaking to carnal Christians and yes a Christian can be carnal. When you got saved, you received an imputed righteousness, which I will discuss further as we go through this message, which means you are sinless in the eyes of the Lord, but it doesn't stop there, because you are expected to live a certain way for the Lord. You are empowered, you are equipped to be victorious for the Lord. And yet, if you don't live like you should live, if you don't yield to the Holy Spirit like you should do, then problems are going to occur for you. The devil is going to be all over you like a rash. And I speak from experience. But if you are lazy, if you are backslidden, if you are indifferent, then no problems at all. The devil won't give you a second glance. But if you are busy, if you are in the front line, if you are trying to win souls to the Lord, if you are making videos such as this or doing street work like we do at this ministry then you're going to have a lot of problems the devil may try to aff afflict you from a health uh, position he may try and hit you from a financial position he may try and cause you to lose sleep he may give you noisy neighbors he may give you troublesome work colleagues I speak from experience I know what it's like I've had all sorts of problems since I've been saved. But Paul speaks about this in verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. Paul loved the church. And if you are an elder, if you are a brother in the Lord, if you have a teaching ministry such as I do, I too love the brethren. And I have a zeal, I have a burden 
to save people. And the Word of God says, if one of us suffers, we all suffer. And I can vouch for that as well. Two, if I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, if I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You receive an imputed righteousness when you get saved, and it's the Saviour's good pleasure to get you to glory. Salvation, therefore, is not your problem. And yet, most Christians, I'm sad to say, think you can lose your salvation. Well, you can't lose your salvation. You can fall inboard, but you can never fall overboard. What you can lose, of course, is your testimony. And if you live after the flesh, you might even lose your life. But Paul is jealous over this church in Corinth, and he says how he has espoused you to one husband, which is, of course, a picture of engagement, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. It is your responsibility to live a certain way, as I say, and if you don't live a certain way, you'll be whipped and chastised. In fact, you were told in Hebrews that if you are a son of God, if you are a child of the highest, and if you live after the flesh, you will be whipped, chastised. And if you are offering yourself as a saved man or woman, and yet not being whipped in a spiritual sense, then maybe you're not saved. Look at three. But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. If you lose the simplicity of Christ up here, if you start to doubt his blood atonement up here, you lose it here. If you lose it in your head, you lose it in your heart, and then you are in major trouble with the Lord. You start to backslide. You start to ask yourself, am I really saved? Am I really producing fruit? And that's a dangerous position to get into. On top of that, you might think you need to do religion. You might think, I need to start keeping the Sabbath. You might think, I need to join a local church. You might think, I need to start tithing. And therefore, you have now lost the simplicity of Christ. But it says here, but I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve, picture of the church, to his subtlety, his uh, slick talk, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. When you got saved, you passed from death unto life. And when you got saved, you received Christ's imputed righteousness. So you are positionally sinless, and on top of that, you are in heaven in a spiritual sense. You can't be any more justified Okay, you can't be any more forgiven. So if you get that clear, as a new Christian, you will never stumble. You will never start to doubt your salvation. Look at 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which we have not accepted, which you have not accepted, excuse me, you might well bear with him. So you have another Jesus, you have another spirit, and you have another gospel. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, it could be the Jesus of Islam, 
It could be the Jesus of Mormonism. It could be the Jesus of the New Age, whom we have not preached, being the apostles, of course. Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. I think it's quite possible for saved people to receive another Jesus, to receive another spirit, to receive another gospel. And I spent some time in Geneva, as you know, outside John Calvin's church, and that man is somewhat of an enigma to me. He may have started off okay, like Luther, like Zwingli, his other uh, counterparts, but he went astray. He started to persecute people. He started to detain people. And he started to have people put to death. Not directly, of course, indirectly. People ask me, was Calvin saved? I don't know. And people ask me, was he for the Lord? I don't know. But it's quite possible that he received another Jesus. It's quite possible that he was seduced by the devil because power corrupts. So take Corinthians 11, 1 to 4, and you get a picture here of Paul worrying over the potential deception of saved people because it's possible to be deceived. In a future video, which I hope to make, I'm going to discuss this. I think, it's, I think it's possible for saved people to be completely deceived, to be completely taken over and end up becoming shipwrecked. You can't lose your salvation, but you can come quite near. You can lose your mind. You can lose all your finances. You can lose friends and family. Because there's a, there is a responsibility when it comes to following the Lord. Go back to the Old Testament, look at Israel. She was expected to live a certain way. And when she failed to live a certain way, she suffered terribly. Look at the wandering Jew. He's still wandering. So if you are saved, and yet not living for the Lord, if you are saved, and yet have received another Jesus, another Spirit, or another Gospel, woe be unto you. You're in a bad way. And that's why you need to be a Bible believer. That's why you need to be a Berean. But go to 1 Corinthians, please. Because as Christians, we are expected to be ambassadors for Christ. And if somebody was to say to you, what is the gospel? You should be able to articulate the gospel. And you can do that by the gospels, going to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, especially John. But if you were to really nail it down, if you were to be really articulate, if you were to be faithful to the Pauline epistles, you go to 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Moreover, brothers... I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. These are saved people that he is speaking to, by which also you are saved from all your past, present, and future sins, 
if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. How can you believe in vain? What does it mean to believe in vain? Go to Galatians chapter 3. This won't be a very long video, it doesn't need to be, but it will be an important video. Galatians 3, look at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only will I learn of you, received of the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Were you saved by keeping the law? Were you saved by being baptised? Were you saved by joining a church? No. You are saved by the hearing of faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The just shall live by faith. Three, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirits, are you now made perfect by the flesh? The Galatians thought if they did religion, if they went to church, if they kept the feast days, if they were tithing, doing this or that, that they would be more holy, more justified, more religious. And he would tell you in the fifth chapter of this epistle how they had fallen from grace. Whereas the Corinthians on the flip side thought that they could do as they pleased because they were saved. Dangerous, dangerous thinking. I think it's possible for a saved person to be not only afflicted by the devil, but almost controlled by the devil, not possessed. I don't go as far as that. I know some believers think that Christians can be devil-possessed. I don't hold to that, never have done. But I think it's possible to be almost taken over by the devil. I think it's possible to be so backslidden, to be so messed up, to be so confused, that you almost feel like you are possessed. And that's why you need to confess your sins to the Lord. That's why you need to stay in fellowship with the Lord. And here he says to the, he says to the Galatians, Who hath bewitched you? That's pretty powerful. Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? You see, it's possible that saved people can be deceived. And the problem with deception is that those that are deceived don't know that they are deceived. This only would I learn of you, verse 2, received the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. How did he get saved? He's asking them. You were told to examine yourself in 2 Corinthians to make sure that you are in the faith. This only would I learn of you, this only would I know of you, this only are my interests know from you. How did you receive the Spirit? How did you get saved? It is good to ask people how they got saved. It's good to get people to give you their testimony every so often. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? And of course you know it's the latter. Look at verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? There's a word again, vain. Have you suffered so many things in vain? But what does it mean? To believe in vain. What does it mean to receive something in vain? Go to 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What is Paul speaking about here? Well, please know one thing, that for the early church there was a great battle going on. What do we do about the law? What do we do about the Sabbath? What do we do about the feast days? Now for the Jews this was settled back in Acts 15 because they were Jews saved they were minded to observe some of the Old Testament rituals not for their salvation of course but to avoid their weaker brethren from stumbling but the problem was what about the Gentiles are they expected to keep the Sabbath no are they expected to observe dietary restrictions yes but based primarily on their weak Jewish brethren not in reference to their salvation of course so it's a very fine line for the early church to draw how do we get this right what we don't want to do is put works into the equation what we don't want to do is somehow make the grace of God to become vain we don't want to rob the Lord of his glory we don't want to rob the Lord of his uh, worship and thanks because he saves us we don't save ourselves so how do we approach this well as I say the Jews would abstain from eating certain foods so as not to cause their weaker brethren to stumble and the Gentiles were also expected to do the same and I spent I think seven weeks looking at uh, looking at Acts 15 and 16 so if you want to listen to those messages you are more than welcome to do so but here we have to understand that for the early church this was a big problem for them now today we are what 2,000 years on and the church primarily is Gentile not Jewish and therefore dietary restrictions are, are pretty much irrelevant the Sabbath is no longer an issue because Christ is our Sabbath on top of that you've got progressive revelation as well from Acts 1 to probably 15, 16, 17, 18, going up to probably Acts chapter 20. That's why the Pauline epistles need to be read and reread for those of us living today. But here, Paul says one more time from 2 Corinthians 6 1, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. I think what he's really saying is that don't add works to the equation don't rob the Lord of his glory because as I say the Jews thought that the old covenant was still relevant to them and it was a problem and sometimes it takes a long time for people to understand grace God's righteousness at Christ's expense so the Galatians on the one hand would put religion into the mix and fall from grace the Corinthians would put liberty into the mix and would be chastised and some would die for their sins 1st Corinthians chapter 11 they were sleeping in Jesus because you can't lose your salvation you can fall inboard but you can't fall overboard go to Romans chapter 10 so the devil comes along and he tries to muddy the waters he would question the Lord's deity in Matthew 4 
he would get Peter to almost kill a man and the Lord had to step in and put an ear back on the head of that individual because Peter wanted to kill the temple guard and you, you were told in John 18 when they come to detain the Lord and Christ says to them whom do you seek and they say Jesus of Nazareth and he says I am he and they all fall backwards what a great picture of the deity of the Lord and he asks them a second time whom do you seek and they say Jesus of Nazareth he says I am he now what's going on there well first of all he is affirming his deity as I say the, the term I am is found in Exodus chapter 3 on top of that he wants them to arrest himself and only himself he was protecting his apostles but Peter gets a sword goes to defend his master and if I know Peter he wanted to cut that man's head off but he slips no doubt to the Lord's intervention takes his ear off and the Lord puts his ear back on his head and I think the devil was there trying to get Peter to do that he had no problem with Noah back in the Old Testament getting drunk he had no problem with David and Solomon even the great uh, Samson and Samuel would fall, stumble it says Samuel would worship on the high places even the best of the best would fall and stumble but when it comes to Romans 10 verse 1 Paul still speaking he says brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved he wanted Israel to be saved and the Calvinists say hold on a minute they can't be saved they haven't been atoned for only those that have been chosen before eternity can be saved and yet you would have thought that Paul went to the third heaven and therefore he would have known better than the Calvinists right but that's what they believe and they think on top of that that the church is now Israel heresy brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved it was possible for the Jews to be saved you get Stephen in Acts 7 standing up and he preaches to Israel and they reject him and put him to death that's a picture of their rejection of the Holy Spirit you've got Samuel back in 1st Samuel chapter 8 and he's pleading with Israel to follow the Lord and they say no we'll have a king to reign over us we'll be like the nations so on and so forth and God says to Samuel it's not you they've rejected it's me picturing God the Father Matthew 27 the Jews say let his blood be on us and on our children picturing God the Son so 1st Samuel 8 they reject God the Father Matthew 27 they reject God the Son Acts chapter 7 they reject God the Holy Spirit 2 for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge they have a zeal they have a determination to do something for the Lord but not according to knowledge they are religious yes very religious as are the JW's as are the Mormons as are the Catholics as are the Muslims but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness 
have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They won't receive Christ's imputed righteousness. They want to get to heaven their own way. And some people are very self-righteous. And I speak to people on the streets, and they say to me, well, I don't want somebody to die for me. I want to do it myself. I think that when I die, my works will be okay. And if there's a God, he'll understand that I did my best and all will be good. Such self-righteousness is blasphemous. You can't save yourself. Listen to me for a few moments now, because I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, are actually quite happy to have a substitute for them. For example, let's say you are nine months pregnant, and you get onto a crowded bus, and it's a hot day, and there's nowhere to sit. And somebody says to you, would you like to have my seat? Most women would say, thank you very much, and take that seat. Most women would rather sit down compared to fainting on a crowded bus. Now some self-righteous women will say, no thank you, I'll stand and I'll faint. Or I'll stand and I'll put up with the heat and the uncomfortable travelling conditions. But I think most women, if push comes to shove, would say, thank you very much, take that seat and sit down. Let's say you're at a bus stop and it's a cold, wet winter's day and you're late for work and somebody pulls up in their car and you know this person of course and they say to you, hey would you like a lift? Most people say thank you very much and they get into the car and arrive at work on time. Now some self-righteous people say no thank you I'm going to stand at the bus stop, get even more wet and arrive at work even later or more late. But most people I think would say thank you, they take the lift and arrive safely on time at work. Let's say you're driving down the motorway and you have a car crash and you rush to the hospital and they say to you, you need a blood transfusion or you will die. Now most people say, give me the blood please, I don't want to die. Some would say, okay, I've had a good life, I'm ready to go. But most, I think, would say thank you very much, I'll have the blood, I want to live. So you see, when it comes down to the fact of the matter, when push comes to shove, I put it to you this morning that most people will quite happily take a substitute. So why not take Christ as your saviour? Why put him off? Why reject him? You'll take a lift to work, you'll take that seat on the bus, you'll take that blood transfusion if it's offered to you. So why do people put this off? Because they are self-righteous like these people here found in my text. Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness, to everyone that believeth. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You need to trust in his death, burial, and resurrection to be saved. And if you do that, you are saved and kept saved. Please take my thoughts this morning. Please listen to what I've said this morning. Don't mix law with grace. Don't mix grace with works. Receive him. Believe on him. Shun the devil's gospel, and if you are preaching it, repent of it and turn from it. And I promise you the Lord will bless you, you'll have great peace in your life, and you'll be completely victorious for him in all that you do for him. Please turn back to 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, 
He died for all of your past, present and future sins. And that he was buried and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And if you believe that, you are saved. It's as simple as that. There's no works involved. But of course, you've got to be sorry for who you are and what you are. That's conviction, of course. But if you turn to the Saviour in faith, the Saviour turns to you and saves you to the uttermost. It's a done deal. And that he was seen as Cephas then of the twelve eyewitnesses. And they wrote the New Testament as well. After that, he was seen of above. 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. More eyewitnesses saw the risen Christ. And some falling asleep would be in reference to Mary Magdalene, I believe. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. You've got multiple eyewitnesses that saw the risen Christ. It's an historical fact. So if you believe in that, if you believe that he died for your sins, that he was raised from the dead, if you trust in that, and if you trust solely in that, you are saved and kept saved. But if you question that, if you reject that, if you start to muddy the waters, if you start to cheapen the grace of God, if you start to attack the blood of Christ, if you start to undermine people's faith in imputation, in receiving Christ's imputed righteousness, then you are a heretic. And I put it to you this morning that you are preaching the devil's gospel. And that's a terrible thing to be accused of, but it's something which I think is justified. And I think there are a group of people found in Luke 12 who get a physical whipping at the judgment seat of Christ. I think those people are candidates for preaching the devil's gospel. This isn't a game. This is about as serious as it gets. Christ came to die for your sins. He paid the price for all of your sins. He lived the life that you could never live. And if you cheapen that, if you start to undermine people's faith in that, you're going to be whipped at the judgment seat of Christ. And of course, if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell anyway. But if you are saved, woe be unto you. If you mess with that message, if you tamper with it, if you tamper with it, if you seek to water it down. So you have got several verses given to you this morning from several parts of the New Testament, not particularly scripted, but hopefully you got the message anyway. But I'll just read verse 2 one more time and then wrap this message up. By which also ye are saved. They're already saved. That's a great thing to be able to say to somebody. I'm already saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you thought you'd get to heaven by your works. Unless you thought you'd get to heaven by doing religion. Giving to charity. Doing this, doing that. Or abstaining from this. Or abstaining from that. You can't make it. The just shall live by faith. You come to the foot of the cross if you're not saved and you believe on him. You trust in him. And if you are saved, but you're messing around or you're preaching another gospel, repent. Turn from it. <coughs> come back to the Saviour. Confess your sins to him. 
He will forgive you, he will cleanse you. And you get back into fellowship with the Lord. So that's all. And I'll just jump out of camera shot one final time. And allow you to enjoy this very pretty backdrop. But as I say, this is a very serious message. I'm not wanting to uh, cheapen the grace of God. What I think what I'll do is I'll end this video as I commenced it with that lovely shot of the sun coming through the trees. And uh, one of my hobbies is to not only make videos such as this from locations such as this, but also to take photographs from locations such as this. So as my video opened with this beautiful and unusual shot, so it will conclude. And uh, as always, I wish you every blessing, every happiness in Christ. It's all about him, not us. That's been my theme of this message. And if you are wanting to really have a great relationship with the Saviour, read the Word of God each and every day. Memorise it. Obey it. And if you want a great experience, witness to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell people about the Saviour of the world. And that will open many doors for you. That will allow you to experience great things which you have never experienced before. But what a great shot to conclude this message with. And I wish you every blessing and Maranatha.